Hello everyone and welcome to episode 25 of In Bed with Shauna. In this episode, I'm diving into a darker side of human sexuality. I'll be discussing female sexual attraction to infamous murderers and how a woman can go from bad boy to psychopath. I remember the romance and sexualization of evil. Sarah, beware. I have been generous up until now, but I can be cruel. Everything that you wanted, I have done. You asked that the child be taken. I took him. You cowered before me. I was frightened. I have reordered time. I have turned the world upside down. And I have done it all for you. I am exhausted from living up to your expectations. Isn't that generous? Wait. Look, Sarah. Look what I am offering you. Your dreams. I ask for so little. Just let me rule you. And you can have everything that you want. Just fear me, love me, do as I say, and I will be your slave. The inspiration for this topic came, oddly enough, from my own dream. It was very slow motion, sensual. You know, I was with this other person, and when I like pulled back from them to look to see who it was it was a character known in the horrorcore music genre as a murderous demon-possessed scarecrow from the south with a victim profile focused mainly on women i wasn't surprised by the dream because i have had an attraction to this particular artist for many many years But it got me thinking, with lyrics like, I want to get you undressed, lick the blood from your chest, and everything I request I know be keeping you wet, or all the bitches in the front row step into the back and catch a dick in a cut throat, how is that arousing? Evolutionarily speaking, it doesn't make sense. Why would a woman run to instead of away from someone likely to kill her. So what's the fascination with this? What's the draw? Like, shouldn't we be scared? A form of human behavior, a phenomenon uh, known as hybristophilia, and that is an attraction to extreme cases or people who have committed acts of violence. What is it, particularly in this podcast, we're going to be addressing the female of the human species? What is it that attracts women to extremely violent and dangerous psychopathic men such as Ted Bundy, Richard Ramirez, various other spree killers, the Columbine shooters, Elliot Rogers, the list goes on and on. What causes this curious phenomenon of young, fertile, nubile women camping out in the courtrooms of serial killers so that they can steal away a glance and hopefully, even for a moment, become the affection of a psychopath. So bad, you know, but I know that he's he's a nice person because I've met him and I know. He's convicted of 13 murders. I know. But he's, he's really nice. Violence does uh, quicken the pulse of many people and certainly of young women. I'm trying to get that feeling, no, no, you know, he's going to get me next. But yet, yet you're fascinated by him. Very, very. He just doesn't look like the type to kill somebody. Red tires, red tires, red tires. 
Cheers me the fuck on, man. I'm all about it. Blood, guts, and gore, man. I uh, will go to do some shows and they'll actually be, you know, girls, juggalettes in the front row that won't even, you know, look at me. And that shit bothers me. And um, I'll find them after the show and I'll be like, why can't you look at me? You don't like me or something. And they'll be like, no, you just scare me. Well, he's not talking about me. And I would never excited. do anything to put myself in that position with him. So, I mean, it's all good with me. I mean, ICP raps about fucking horrible stuff, too. I mean, so does Twisted. It doesn't matter who it is. Most of the murder that I commit in my music is um, towards females. And it's not because I have a hatred for females. It's because I love females. And they're, they're an inspiration to me. Okay, so I basically went down a rabbit hole with this one and led to a, a few uh, self-discoveries. As most videos or um, podcasts or whatever on this subject do, I'm just going to go ahead and read the definition and then I'm going to kind of break it down and explain why I think people are describing this wrong. So here we go. Hybristophilia is a paraphilia in which sexual arousal facilitation and attainment of orgasm are responsive to and contingent upon being with a partner known to have committed an outrage, cheating, lying, known infidelities, or crime, such as rape, murder, or armed robbery. So when I first read that definition, what stood out to me were the lesser offenses, the lying and the cheating, and known infidelities, because when I was, the first time I was ever cheated on, I was like 15, I recall wanting to have sex with my boyfriend that cheated on me. And I did. And even as I was older, my husband now, who was then my boyfriend, uh, I caught him cheating. I had gone through his phone the night before. Or no, er, I got up early the, that morning to check his phone from the night before because I relied on him being too drunk to think to delete things so I could catch him like that. And uh, so I was going through his phone, confirmed the fact that he was cheating on me. And then I went in there, woke him up, and instead of freaking out on him, had sex with him and then freaked out on him. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Is that not a normal thing to do? (laughs) I thought all along that maybe that was some sort of mate guarding like I was trying to mark my territory or assure that he was still mine or that he was still interested in me or something like that like I was trying to justify it that way so and maybe that's what it was maybe it wasn't anything more I don't know but yeah so that just kind of caught my attention So in researching hyperstophilia you really get a lot of information basically on women who are in love with serial killers. That's what they really focus on. And they give examples or reasons to why that a woman might fall in love with a serial killer. And although I do get it, I think they're kind of missing the point. So basically they say there's three, I guess, main reasons why women do this. One, because that person's infamous, and so by associating themselves with them, they in turn become, like, famous in a way. So they're seeking, like, fame and validation that way. So I could see that. Uh, Another one is that it's a safe boyfriend because, or husband or partner or whatever, because they're locked away. You always know where they are. Um... They say that you know that they're being, they're not cheating on you, but that is not true because I have had relationships with people in prison and trust me, they're writing 25 other girls. Trust that. 
But anyways, it gives you the false illusion, I guess, of faithfulness. Um, and then also the taming of the man fantasy, which is a female psychological desire cue is to take the bad guy and be so wonderful yourself that it makes him change or that he's only kind to you. So I could see why someone might find that aspect desirable. But the thing that I don't get from all of these things that they kind of are focusing on are that they're very emotional. There's totally a helicopter. Okay. So I just feel like these examples or justifications are really focusing on emotion and relationship kind of like as psychology um, and completely ignoring the sexual component. A paraphilia is about sex. It's a sexual arousal. It's not about all of this other stuff. So I think they're kind of missing the point here because really someone in prison you're not having sex with usually um so I mean unless and no one goes into if they're you know masturbating and thinking about these people or whatnot there was just a really big focus on the emotional psychological side of it I think is boring. Just saying. Okay, so before I go into why I think that this actually happens, um, I'm going to go ahead and just give you the breakdown that I've come across in researching this. So there's two types of hybristophilia. There's passive and aggressive. Um, aggressive is when the woman wants to commit crimes with the other person and be like Bonnie and Clyde and then passive is when they don't feel the need to do that okay so here's where I'm going to share my little self-revelation that I'm not putting in the show show notes I've written a ton of detailed show notes on this topic but this part I'm leaving out of that and I'm only going to talk about because I don't know I don't even want to give it enough energy to write about it so while I was uh, researching I messaged my childhood friend who is also a therapist so I messaged her and I was like hey do you know anything about hyperstophilia and she said she just she said what's the disorder you're talking about and so I gave her the definition that I read earlier and she says her response was oh this is that thing you have I was like what and she said yes that's what you have and then I told her well when I look when I looked it up it's all about people obsessed with serial killers there's no mention of the lesser offenses, which I can definitely identify with. She says, mild case. And I said, is that why I became such a controlling bitch? Like, I date less dominant men so they won't do what he did. But at the same time, I need validation, validation from those same fucked up men. And she said, yes. I said, that's why I'm obsessed with being desirable. And she said, I needed to get over that. And that's where my fear of aging comes from. Are you fucking kidding me with this freaking helicopter? There's probably killers swarming around me right now. In this town, the only time the helicopter is circling is when they're looking for someone. He's probably either just done something horrible and is running or has escaped from somewhere. And I live by a creek where they like to hide, so. Okay, so basically what happened? The freaking darkness 
who's probably listening to this right now, creepily. Um, so because I was all in love with him and then he broke up with me with, for no good reason that he would tell me. Now, I'm sure he just wasn't it. I don't think he even wanted to date me anyways. I don't think he even ever had feelings for me. I think he just wanted to get laid and he thought I was easy and that that's how it was going to go and he was just going to date me for a minute and then break up with me. I'm pretty sure that was how it was, but he didn't say that obviously, um, nor did he give me any other reason for breaking up with me. So because that just so devastated me at the time, that basically the rest of my life I have dated less dominant men so that I felt like I was in control of the situation and I felt like I don't want to say better than them because I don't think that but at the same time kind of so um like my subconscious and so I like they're not going to leave me because I'm you know, better. Oh, that sounds so bad, but it's just, that's, ew, (laughs) sorry. This is why. Okay. So, but at the same time, I need the validation from the assholes or the asshole that broke my heart because clearly I wasn't good enough. You know, it was always like, what was wrong with me? Why didn't he want to stay with me? because I wasn't pretty enough, um, anything, like, why, this is why I have always needed validation from mean men. I'm always super attracted to guys that are mean. I can think of, and they're very few, there's very, okay, because, oh, right, so here's another thing. And this is why I think that this is, this will tie into how I think that this can snowball into this condition because basically there's a very, very few people that for a long time when the darkness would like text me. I, or would talk to me or would give me any sort of attention, I would get this euphoric high, like bad, sickeningly bad. Like I, it was a good feeling, but it was extremely overwhelming. Like I would be head in the clouds, no clue of what's actually going on around me kind of thing. And then that would wear off very quickly. And when it did, I would go super low. And if he were to be angry with me, call me a name, um, push me over for somebody else, whatever, I would become extremely frantically upset, crying, like hating my life in bed, horrible. And I was like that with him for so so long and he knew it and he took advantage of it and would use me he used me for money he would make me give him money because I knew that if I had money and I gave him some then he would talk to me and he would be nice to me this went on from high school 14 okay from high school until I was probably 30 okay this was like years he would basically pimp me out to his friends. He would tell me that, basically convince me that I would be good enough to hang out with if I was fucking his homeboy or something. That's how me and my current husband met, is in that situation. I mean, luckily that went differently than he had planned and we fell in love with each other and whatever, but, um, yeah, he just, he did some horrible things to me, but his approval was always something my brain craved. Even though like I knew, my heart knew he's a piece of shit and my logical thinking brain knew he was a piece of shit. 
But somewhere else, there's a chemical reaction that would happen that I craved badly. And that was not broken until I started talking to, I think I called him James. We're saying he's a James. Until I started talking to him. He, which is another bad boy, somebody who wasn't good for me, somebody who I knew I couldn't have, somebody, um, you know, that had a criminal record, someone who was just completely emotionally unavailable, was much younger than me. Um, it was almost like I was, it's like, I want to find the hardest, like the meanest, least available person I could possibly find. And if by any chance I could ever crack them to love me, then it would justify everything else. So, anyways, there's just, there's just only certain people that would create that brain chemistry for me. So, and the only reason I like, like I triggered that is because it, it was happening again with somebody else. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Why is it this person that's doing that? Like something's what's the common denominator? You know what I mean? And, uh, but I think that that can definitely snowball into something dangerous for somebody. So I do think that something happens to you at a younger age that kind of triggers some sort of need that you need to be fulfilled by someone like that for whatever reason. And it's like, you know, it's like a drug, like you need, you need more and more and more of it. So let me go over a few other points and I'm going to tie back into that with, um, another thing in here. So, um, I'm just gonna review my notes here real quick. What's interesting is like that he would cause all of that baggage in my mind for all of these years. And now he's like, constantly online stalking me and it brings me absolutely no joy at all like I I don't care I actually dislike it so I don't know it's like the damage is already done it's too late it'll never be fixed I'm just gonna perpetually do this anyways all right so let's see taming the man I've already talked about that you can't change a man. You can't make a crooked tree straight, somebody once told me. Forbidden fruit. That's definitely something. For me, it is. Um, I like things that are forbidden um, and things that are hard to get. Criminals like that are definitely both. So then, <clears throat> so then I came across characteristics of subclinical psychopathy, which are low neuroticism, so a lack of empathy, fearless dominance, so in regard to risk, they, you know, uh, seek risk or have no concept of risk, um, callousness, so an immunity to emotion, those are all things that I would definitely find attractive. So there's that. Um, because those are all things, those are all things that are hard to get, hard to crack. Um, the challenge, the challenge to make him love you when he's incapable of loving, I suppose, would be the psychop psychopathy can be attractive in this way. When we look at when we look at it from an evolutionary perspective, men with their with these traits are most often alpha males. A man with these traits would probably be a great protector. 
So there is a protection aspect to it as well. I totally agree. Um, I agree. I wrote that. <laughs> Let's see. Um, these men can also appear as hard to get. I already went over that. They often have exciting personas, which is true and is alluring to women. Um, almost like peacocking, like we've talked about before, you know, they're standing out above all others. Like if they don't give a damn about the rules because they're so badass, you know? That's what I heard. But you have to let him suck you on your neck whenever he wants. Doesn't sound too bad. As a young girl, I remember the romance and sexualization of evil. First with characters like David Bowie as the Goblin King, then old Dracula movies, and vampires upon vampires. So, now you know what we are? Now you know what you are. You'll never grow old, Michael. And you'll never die. But you must feed. <laughs> With movies and books like Twilight, Vampire Diaries, and True Blood. In 2008, we saw a childhood villain begin to turn into something a little more appealing when the Joker was played by Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight, then blatantly romanticized in the 2016 Suicide Squad, played by Jared Leto. Question. Would he die for me? Yes. That's too easy. Will you... Would you live for me? Hmm? Yes. Careful. Do not say this oath thoughtlessly. Desire becomes surrender, surrender. I do. This year, we will see what Joaquin Phoenix will bring to the role. From the trailer, I'm guessing the soft center of the callous outside will be shown to us, attracting even more women to the character. So I thought the character of the Joker was interesting because originally he's in the cartoon and he's very almost like nerdy looking, a very, he's not attractive, okay? He's just an unattractive, nerdy-looking, scary kind of guy. Um, and then once he starts to come onto the big screen, originally he was a little creepy with not much sex appeal to him. But I feel like they've begun to really weave that in. And once they saw what Jared Leto did to the character and how people responded to that, because I think there's definitely, and it may be just women maybe my age for some reason and younger. I don't feel like my mother's generation is very much like that. But, and maybe they are, I don't know. But I feel like there's a definite attraction to villains or evilness um, the younger people get for some reason. So in researching, I also came across something called the Dark Triad. It's, um, in psychology, there's what's known as the Dark Triad. 
character traits of narcissism, psychopathy, and Machiavellianism. These made me wonder, is there a dark triad for villain attraction? Not all villains are considered as having sex appeal, so what is it that's needed? And in doing so, I just googled and came across um, the sexy villain matrix. Um, and they say, they let's see, starts with a physically attractive man, then add sadism, vengefulness, and self-loathing. Which self-loathing is definitely a key to making villains attractive for some reason. I've noticed that. Very much with the vampires. If you really look, most of them hate themselves for what they are. Then become attractive. Edward Cullen from Twilight. Um, Louis from uh, Interview with a Vampire. They're, yeah. How do we seem to you? Do you find us beautiful? Magical? Our white skin, our fierce eyes, drink you ask me. Do you have any idea of the thing you will become? Okay, so I didn't want to talk about this without exploring sex and violence. Um, so first let's just look at aggressive sex. Uh, I think that this is pretty straightforward and why it's appealing. It's very animalistic. It's like the man must have you. It goes back to women's desire to be desired. We want to be wanted. That turns us on more than anything. Um, like Esther Perel says, the big secret of female sexuality is it is massively narcissistic. We definitely, that's our big turn on is that we're turning you on. So the fact that you can't control yourself and you have to have us, that's um, something definitely desirable to us. And I think that's why a lot of women are into aggressive sex, not necessarily like BDSM or or like I've talked to talk about in a minute, rape fantasies or anything like that, but just, um, you know, kind of push you up against a wall or push you down on the bed or grabbing your hair or, you know, a little choking, a little hand on the throat action, um, just kind of rougher sex is because it's the passion you have to be taken, you know? Okay, so I will touch on rape fantasy just a little bit. Um, I didn't really want to spend a lot of time investigating it because it had very little to do with the topic at hand, but it, it kind of, it barely grazes in there. So I did want to cover it briefly and, and share something that I was not aware of because I don't have rape fantasies, so I don't really understand it, but, um, but it's definitely a thing and it's definitely not about being raped. Usually, um, these fantasies come from a place of guilt. And so maybe you're unable to let go or you feel like you've domineered someone too much. And so to have them be able to take control over you is satisfying to you. So, and what everyone needs to understand, which is kind of a twisted, weird little concept to get, but especially men, please understand that even a rape fantasy is not a fantasy about being raped because to have the fantasy in the first place, you're already giving consent for it to happen because it's something you wanted. So therefore it takes rape out of the whole equation. Do you get that? Um, it's a little complicated, but I am linking an article about it from psychology today in the show notes. So please go check that out if you have questions about that. Nobody's fantasizing about actually getting raped, okay? It's it's something else. Okay, okay, so something I'm calling bad boy hypergamy. So hypergamy is the idea that women, humans, um, the females, I guess, mate across and up socioeconomic statuses. So we don't ever go down below what we consider our mate value, we go across and up. So mix that in with what I was talking about earlier in the bad boy whole situation. It's very, that's how I think it can snowball. 
is because we're always going to keep trying to go higher and higher and higher. Just like um, a couple of things I've equated it to. First of all, there's, you know, you get a little bit of adrenaline and dopamine when you're just hooking up with somebody in a normal situation. But I think once you add danger to the, to the equation, it intensifies it a lot more. I know that when I would go see someone I wasn't supposed to go see, it would, it would scare me. Like I would feel sick and shake and it would, it would just really screw me up. But then once it was over, I had like the biggest like elation. It, it was crazy. It's seriously like a drug. And I think that that could possibly be what happens with these girls is because you, you, like when you ride a roller coaster, it's terrifying, right? But then after you do it a few times, then all of a sudden your body stops equating that with danger and it starts equating it with excitement. So it just keeps building and building and building and you need more and more and more and a more dangerous guy, more dangerous guy, more dangerous guy. Because, you know, when you started off with the boy in high school that stole like a candy bar from the drugstore or whatever, you know, oh, pretty soon he's not that tough. This guy over here, he robbed a bank, you know? Oh, well, that guy's not so tough. This guy did this. See what I'm saying? Like it's, it's a harder more it's a twisted way to look at it but it's like an high a hierarchy and you want to climb it see how far you can get to soften that bad guy right I don't know that's just my that's my theory and that's why because everything I read totally took the sex out of it but what's interesting, this is like, it's not TMI because this is in bed with me. So it is what it is. But those same people that I would give me those rushes of all those chemicals, I never had an orgasm with any of them. Any of them, like there was millions, but there was very few, but never did I. And I think because I was too, I was too in my head because I had to please them to make it okay. Because I, they had to say I was good. They had to say I was enough. And so I didn't, I couldn't take the time to relax and enjoy myself. Are you kidding me? No, I had to make sure that my hips were placed in the right position or that you know the lighting was correct or that I was sucking in my stomach properly or anything like that sometimes during sex she would imagine she was a ventriloquist controlling her body moving her hips and arching her back in just the right way she wanted Nate to feel good about the way he thought because if you make the guy feel confident and powerful That was a clip from the HBO show Euphoria that really spoke to me, as you can tell. Um, I think it really embodies what women, especially younger women, feel about sex. That it's not for them, especially in that time, it's not so much about sex, but about approval. Okay, so I was editing this episode last night, and I was looking for this particular quote that I wanted to include from Ted Bundy, and I couldn't find it, and then I came across his last interview that he did before he was executed, and it's about 30 minutes long, and I watched it, and basically what he was talking about is the imprinting process with boys and what that can do. And I thought that was super interesting because he was basically saying that his murders were, you know, of a sexual nature and that that's where it all started. And I just wanted to talk about that for a minute because I think that people don't really understand the importance of 
young boys and their sexuality and what they're exposed to. So I'm going to just put a little clip in here um, from what Ted Bundy had to say. We'll try to take the easy way out and to try to blame or otherwise accuse my, uh, my family of contributing to this because uh, I know, and I'm trying to tell you as honestly as I know how, what happened. And I think this is a message I want to get across. But as a young, uh, a young boy, and I mean a boy of uh, 12 or 13, certainly, uh, that I encountered outside the home again uh, in uh, the local grocery store or the local uh, uh, drugstore, the softcore pornography, what people call softcore. Uh, but as I think I, I explained to you last night, Dr. Dobson, in an anecdote, that as young boys do, we explored the the back roads and sideways and byways of our neighborhood and oftentimes people would dump the garbage and whatever they were cleaning out of their house and from time to time we'd come across so, pornographic books of a harder nature than uh, more uh, graphic, you might say, more explicit nature than we would encounter, let's say, in your local grocery store. And this also included such things as, let's say, detective magazines and uh, those that involve violence. Yes, yes, and I, I, and this is something I think I want to emphasize is the the, the, the most damaging uh, uh, kinds of pornography. And my, again, I'm talking from personal experience, uh, hard, real personal experience. The most damaging kinds of pornography are those that involve violence uh, and sexual violence. Because the wedding of those two forces, as, as I know only too well, brings about behavior that is just, uh, is just uh, too terrible to describe. Now walk me through that. What was going on in your mind at that time? Okay, before we go any further, I think anyway, it's important to me. I also came across this video that a girl had done on hybristophilia, and I thought it's probably the best video that there is that I've seen when researching the topic. And I want to put a little bit of her talking about this same kind of situation um, about the imprinting in here. And I will link both of the videos in the show notes. Hyperstophilia is a type of paraphilia, which is an umbrella term for abnormal sexual desire, typically involving extreme or dangerous activities. Other examples of paraphilia include voyeurism, exhibitionism, masochism, sadism, and necrophilia. There's a theory that's often used when uh, like experts are trying to understand uh, serial killers or how people end up so being so sexually deviant. Um, and one of the theories is that there was some type of event, significant event, while they were developing and understanding their own sexuality that somehow got intertwined, you know, so, uh, like, you know, with Jeffrey Dahmer, like, he was very interested in dissection and seeing what was inside of things, um, and, you know, just that kind of, like, gore and just the inside of bodies, and it kind of developed into this compulsion to like completely consume and possess another person um and one of the best examples of this imprinting is in the case of richard ramirez aka the night soccer who is a very popular uh object of affection for murder groupies but when richard was like 11 years old he had this like fucked up cousin that showed him uh, like photographs that he had taken while he was in Vietnam. And the photographs were of Vietnamese women that he had murdered um, and raped. And in one of the photos, uh, it showed his cousin performing oral sex on himself with a decapitated head of a Vietnamese woman. You know, so there's that fusion of sex and violence on an impressionable young Richard Ramirez. Um, and then that same cousin also murdered his own wife a couple feet away from Ramirez. So I think after looking at everything, you can really see that what happens with these men and what happens with these women is very similar, but the men's is more physical with sex and violence and women's are more, uh, 
emotional, mental, just like we are, um, you know, as grown adults, women are more mentally aroused, men are more visually aroused. So I think men, given this visual um, media at a young age, kind of starts the wheels turning and women giving um, these mental things that happen to us, you know, for me, um, you know, a rejection, I suppose, it, it kind of sits in there and it kind of forms your sexuality and decides what, what road it's going to take and, and what it's going to bounce off of along the way. And it's super interesting. And I just, I wish that sex education was actually sex education and that we could talk about these things with young people so that they knew, you know, hey guys, be careful what you think about when you masturbate. Be careful what you look at when you masturbate because at at that age, wires can get crossed and you're not going to be able to uncross them, you know, uh, and same with girls, you know, be careful who you're letting into your heart because just because they're cute and they seem nice doesn't mean they're not going to scar you mentally for the rest of your life. My daughter knows that. I brainwash her on that. But, you know, and I've talked to my son about the same thing. I just wish everyone knew these things could happen and affect you for the rest of your life or get you murdered. Okay, so I think that that's basically it. I think I've covered everything. Basically, I just wanted to kind of show that although when you look this up, it very much focuses on serial killers, that that's not necessarily where all of it's coming from, that it is coming from more of a, like, it can come from a lot of places and have a lot of uh, needs that it can and fill, um, which can be dangerous. Yes. Um, not saying it's not saying it's a good thing, but I definitely think we do romanticize, sexualize, and glorify villains, um, at least in this culture. And I don't think that that's helpful, you know, to a woman's psyche when we're using our desire cues on people like the Joker, for example. Um, you know, but it is what it is. Okay, so I guess I'll answer... A couple questions quickly because I know there was a couple I know one for fact actually asked a good question so hold up okay so this is a super interesting question this guy says I don't wear underwear so when I walk in my shorts or sweats girls can see my d bulge swinging I know it sounds gross but some girls like it like to stare at it and not be mad about it. I'm a little worried that this is now a full-blown fetish and it may lead to something else. Should I be worried? I love this question. I don't even know if I'm qualified to answer this question, but I think you should be a little bit worried because sexuality um, is interesting in the fact that it evolves and especially with men, it can, it can require more and more and more. So I feel like at this point, there might not be anything necessarily wrong, but eventually it's not going to be enough and you're going to have to start doing other things to make it naughty. You know, you're going to get bored with it and you know, you don't want to eventually start whipping it out or touching people without consent or anything like that. I think if you're not getting hard and you're just chilling there and you're getting off on the fact that people are looking and nothing ever comes of that, um, besides the fantasies in your head, then I think that that's fine. But I don't think it will stop there. I think that it will progress to something else um that probably won't be good I personally don't really care about that stuff I think I was a video or something I don't remember what it was but I heard about this guy was on like a train and he was asking a lady for directions and he had an erection 
and people found it super offensive. How dare he? He was getting off on making her uncomfortable and blah, blah, blah. I personally don't care if people have erections as long as they're not touching me with them or putting them in my face or something. I don't care. <laughs> Sit across the train and just be hard. Like, how does that affect me? But other people don't feel that way and they can take offense to erections. So I don't know. You might want to maybe I don't know. You don't say if you're in school or have a job or what. Um, but you're saying shorts and sweatpants. So maybe if you're in a controlled environment, I don't know. I'm just saying it sounds like a slippery slope. I can definitely see the arousal factor in that. Um, I would just be very careful. And if you feel it going any farther than that, I would probably stop doing it because... Or at that point, go seek actual therapy and see um, maybe they have ideas of what you could do instead. You know, I'm sure maybe you could go to, I don't know, some sort of sex party where people can look at you and, and you know, do um, expedition kind of things. Uh, yeah, that's the best I can tell you. Be careful. But great question. Great question. Um, another one I got is just somebody asking me if I could uh, do an episode on circumcision, which I'm definitely going to do because I could probably bang that out one, bang that one out pretty quickly because I um, would just have to research the current statistics, but I'm pretty educated on that topic. So, and I feel pretty passionate about it as well. So I'm definitely going to do that one. And then I will also do a Q&A one. And I would like to do one on open relationships because I haven't talked about that since the very beginning of time and um, something I'm also very passionate about. So yeah, so please go check out the show notes. Um, like I said, I spent a lot of time writing them all out. There is more there than I even went over. I will and I will link to things there. I'm going to add a playlist at the end of this episode. Um, if you're on Anchor, because Anchor allows you to hook to Spotify. So I'm going to do a playlist of some of the songs that I was um, referencing in the beginning, or the artists that I was referencing in the beginning, um, just so you can kind of get an idea of the kinds of songs that I'm talking about and the confusion that I felt of why I would be attracted to something like that. Uh, if you are not on Anchor on, and you're on something else, you can just uh, go to the show notes and I will just type them out there and you can look them up yourself if you're so inclined. Okay, so and if you want to talk like one-on-one -on -one with me and see pictures that I don't post on Instagram, you can go to my OnlyFans. Um, link will be in the show notes at theshawnawilliams.com. Follow me on Instagram, follow me on Twitter, uh, email any questions you have or whatever you would like to, to theshawnawilliams at gmail.com. And you can call in questions to 530-433-4223. Two people text that number. It's not for texting. I'm not going to reply to you. If you want to talk to me, you can do it on OnlyFans. Thank you very much. Okay, so I think that's everything. Rate the podcast on iTunes. Um, yeah, do nice things like that. If you have any feedback for the next um, few episodes, let me know. And until then, I guess I'm done. Okay, bye. scratching up and he was coming all over my stomach and I had this like realization you know like this epiphany that no matter how cool or or sexy or or smart you think a guy is <laughs> they're actually just fucking pathetic